For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. Hi, everyone. Um, I would invite you all to join uh, with me in standing for the reading of the gospel. Um, The reading today is from John chapter 6, verses 51 through 58. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. The word of the Lord. Uh, All right, if you are new at church and to church, you're reading a scripture like that, and you should say what? That is ridiculously weird. And that is exactly what even people in the first century said as well. Back then, it wasn't like, oh yeah, we get what he means. Eating flesh, drinking blood. That was weird then, and it's really weird now. In fact, in the first century, uh, when the church was gathering, there was rumors uh, that what they did in their celebrations were eat babies within a loaf of bread. And so it, it, there began to be some questions about this new little community that was gathered around the person of Jesus. And so... Um, what do we do with, so we do all plays at Genesis, and I love how everyone just kind of packed together, even though you could have spread out. It's so funny. It's like we're back at Sabus. Look at you guys, so sweet. Uh, so we do all plays at Genesis, if you're new, and that, those are questions designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the solo. And so here's the first all play. After hearing Jesus say, anyone who doesn't eat my flesh and drink my blood doesn't have any part of me, what question do you have? Is Jesus involved in cannibalism, and is he offering himself uh, as the first course? Great question. What else? Questions? Noticings? The question is, what question should you have about... Hi, Sally, everybody. (laughs) Sally's here. You've been moving and doing different things. So Jesus said, this is my flesh. If If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. What questions should you have when you hear something like that? 
Is there an alternate road? Let's hope so. How could we eat him then? Because he was alive. And how could we eat him now? Because he's not here. Yeah. Okay, Nick said, has he, is he, has he referenced anything? And some of you guys are going to have to make a decision because I am going to wander up and down. You're going to either crane your neck and, and look or else just listen. Uh, either way is fine. Um, so this is John 6, right? And what Jesus has done in the very beginning of John 6 is he fed the 5,000. What did he feed the 5,000 with? Fish and bread. And everyone freaked out completely because it was utterly... Um, it, it was unheard of. Everyone was in town in Jerusalem for the Passover. And so there was all these people, and they were going to have to go find some, something to eat. And Jesus, uh, when his disciples said to him, Master, what should we feed these people? Uh, he said, well, whatever's available. And so they went and found some loaves of bread and some fish. And that was enough to feed uh, 5,000 men, in addition to all the women and children. Uh, and there was all this leftover. So that's the context. The context is this miracle where Jesus multiplied the bread to feed hungry, normal, ordinary people who had gathered for a feast. And then Jesus goes on in much of John 6 to talk about believing. The verb is believing. If you don't believe in me, uh, then... Um, you won't have eternal life. And then people grumble about that. In fact, we read in the earlier parts of the chapter, people murmur about that. What is murmuring when a teacher says something that you don't really agree with? That's an all play. Right, okay. Murmuring, grumbling. And so Jesus changes the verb from believe to eat. Why does he do that? That's an all play. Say it louder. Sorry, say it louder. Oh, so, okay, but you can ingest belief, right, Becky? Oh. <laughs> Taking it in. Yeah. What else? Why does he change the verb? to get their attention, because they were arguing, murmuring, complaining. You can dispute an idea, right? You can argue about an idea. You can say, I believe in this doctrine, or I don't believe in that doctrine. You can even set up denominations according to those differences of belief, can you not? So I wonder if Jesus was saying, like, you know, man, believing is really important, but these guys are kind of missing the greater piece because the bigger themes of John, if you read the Gospel of John, which is so beautiful, it's all about God loving the world so much that God then gave God's Son and that God gave everything that God had to the Son, to Jesus. And then Jesus says things like, if you abide in me, you abide in the Father. And 
So there's this interplay going back and forth all throughout John about the relationship between the Father and the Son. And Jesus is trying to explain it, but he can't. He can't describe the transcendent, intimate relationship that he has with the Father. Back and forth and back and forth because God gave. God so loved the world that he gave. And then Jesus says, because God gave everything God have, has to me, including the world and the people in it, I want to give everything I have to you. And how will I do that? So he's talking about eating. And he's talking about drinking. And I think there's a, there's a way in which he, he wants to say, if you only believe with your mind, you're not going to get the relationship that I have with the Father, this intimate, transcendent, abiding, peaceful, centered presence. And so he switches the verb to eating. And what is the result when people, when he says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, what does it say in the text? <laughs> they went ahead and argued about that too. So, um, the early church, after Jesus had died and risen, they, they believed in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. They believed in the real presence. They believed that in some mysterious way, the Christ was available when they shared the bread and the wine. It wasn't just a remembrance it wasn't just an ordinance. It was a way to receive the life power of the Christ so that the church can be filled and be the body of Christ in the world. That's what they believed. And they believed that the full Christ was contained in every single chunk of bread. And they believed that when the church was scattered into all the areas where they went, what united the church was this practice of the Eucharist, the great thanksgiving, the receiving of the bread and the wine. And it's different, this eating is different than believing in the sense that it's very participatory, isn't it? You take it in. You ingest it. It becomes part of you. It nourishes you. It gives you what you need, and without it, you'll die. And here's the question for the American church in 2018. If you were to remove what you believe, would you die? Mostly stay the same be really, really hungry? What would happen if they took away, if they, whoever they is, but if this thing, this church, Jesus, God, the Spirit, if what you believe in was taken away, what would happen? I think this is what Jesus is saying, like, I want to be so nourishing to you that you come to me when you are starving. What does it mean, this is an all-play question, to be starving spiritually? 
or just to be hungry? Let's just say hungry. Lonely. Thanks, Joe. Seeking. Thanks, Charlie. Desperate. Thanks, Isaac. Crabby. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Bringing it home. Focused. Pam. I love that. Yes, to have sort of a laser focus. Can't think about anything else. I got to get what I need. Cynical. Is that you, Brian? Say more, my friend. Yeah. Right. Uh, hangry maybe is a is a good word that we could use. Hopeless. Yep. Empty. Yep. Restless. Yes. Say it again, Anthony. Want, wanton or wanting? Wanting. Yes, Jessica. Angry and blaming. Dang it. Now, which of those things can you bring to Jesus, and which of those things should you probably leave behind? Those things that were said. Yeah, you bring all of it. Bring absolutely all of it. When you come to the table to eat, you come with your appetite, right? You come ready to eat. You come because you need nourishment. And so Jesus, I think, is trying to get us to believe by not thinking so hard, but by participating in the love that he feels from his Father. And that he wants to give to us. Abide in me, Jesus says all over the book of John. And I will abide in you. And so you go, okay, I'm going to get up every morning, do my quiet time. And if you do that, awesome. But if you don't, that's okay. What is it like to come to Jesus and be present to Jesus in your hunger in the moment and choose Jesus and the loneliness that, that even that sometimes brings. Because let's be honest, it's a whole lot easier to go to your, your go-to addiction that makes you feel a little bit better in the moment. It's a lot more instantaneous, isn't it? Like that pow, yes, feels good. Um, what would it be like for us to be in that desperation long enough to where Jesus might actually nourish us. And even as I say that, I have to say I have cynicism about that. Do you know what I mean? Will Jesus really nourish me? And what is that nourishing? Is it a feeling that I get that all is right in the world? And my kids will be totally fine and my marriage will be totally fine? Or is it something else? And the invitation to eat and drink of Jesus, I think, is an invitation uh, into a kind of mystery that you don't know how Jesus will choose to nourish you. But he talks about eternal life. And a better way to define that is an eternal kind of life. It's not just life after death that goes on forever on a cloud with 
you know, endless bingo games or something maybe, or harps, or golf maybe, or surfing, or mountains. Um, what is an eternal kind of life that you might experience now? You've all experienced it. You've all experienced it. What, what is an eternal kind of life where Jesus is nourishing you right here and right now? You've all experienced it, I guarantee you. Love. Thank you, Kim. A life that's past the moment. Is that just... Yeah, lives past the moment. It's not just here and gone. Yeah. Say it again, Bob. Lifting up of others. Yeah, when you have that moment when you kind of, oh my gosh, I actually was not self-referential the 50th time today. I actually think for someone else. Karen. Yeah. Yeah, right here, right now is an eternal kind of life. It's where Jesus is. Anything else? An eternal kind of life. Great fellowship, yeah. I uh, was at a meal last night, and then again a week ago, and it was like that. The food was good. The people were just amazing. And I felt a sense of, of being, of abiding in love. And that was a gift of God. That was a gift of God. A little later on today, I'm going to get a chance to baptize my oldest son. Right here. And that is going to be one of those moments, a kairos moment in the Greek. A moment that's exploding with opportunity. Um. Create. Love it. Yeah, when, when you get the sense of in the unity of you and Jesus and, and everyone else, and all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness. So when Jesus lived and died and rose again, he did that because the Father loved the world so much. And then the Father gave the world to Jesus. And then he said, i got to find a way for people to maybe experience this union. And so he offered us the church. He offered us the sacrament called the Eucharist that we receive. And in some mysterious way, we believe in our denomination and here at Genesis that it's more than just a remembrance, more than just a symbol, more than just an ordinance. In some mysterious way, the real presence of Christ is available as we partake. And in some real way, we are really nourished. And that's why we chose, as we moved into this new building, to put the Eucharist in the middle of the room so that it was central in its rightful place. 
so that it would radiate outwards. So the real presence of Christ is available to those who are hungry and cynical. And um, it's not a magic pill or a drug that you can count on to work the exact same way every time. But it is the promise of a union with the divine who created you and created all things, who sustains you and sustains all things, who redeemed you and wants to redeem all things and all people. And that, I think, is what Jesus is trying to do when he gives us this crazy metaphor. Become a part of me. I want to become a part of you in the deepest way imaginable. So the invitation to that is like, you don't just say yes to that. You, you can say yes to that. But then you choose to put your hand out and grab that bread and take it in after you've dipped it in the cup. There's a participation that's available. Amen.